Hello and welcome to LOPR Aftershock for AEW All Out. Uh, my name is Matt Mayer, aka The Implications. You can follow me on Twitter at the damn Implicat. You can read my columns here on Laws of Pain as I write the Imps Adventures columns here. Uh, I am normally joined by my co-host Jan Man. However, this week he is there live in Chicago. So he is currently herding with everybody else to get out of that arena. Uh, and I am left here doing LPR Aftershock by myself at 5am in the morning. <laughs> so I am quite tired, to put it nicely. Oh, I'm pretty impressed I've got the link up and everything. I've just realised I've not got the page quite right on Laws of Pain. There we go, done that. Multitasking imp, here we go. Oh, <laughs> let's tweet out the show as well. Anyway, AW All Out. Very long show, especially if you watch the pre-show like I did so I could talk about it here. I don't know if I would have watched... Uh, with WWE, I've stopped watching the pre-shows. And we're live. I put on the Twitter thing because I am... Yes. <laughs> I gave myself five minutes, uh, which was very smart. When I was I was watching Jericho win and I was like, what if he... It's got to move the microphone forward again, professionalism. Yeah, I was like watching it, watching Jericho's celebration. Like, what if something happens afterwards and I've got to delay <laughs> the time I put this out again? Oh, I had it set for like half past 11. No, it was like earlier than that. <laughs> I had it like 11 to start with and kept knocking it back. <laughs> now we're very, very late. Oh. But yeah, so I've been... Uh, I did watch the pre-show with this, but with WWE I've stopped watching their pre-shows because it's just too much, it's too long. Uh, and there's lots of fluff and you get a match now and then. Whilst this, I turned on the buy-in and it immediately... <laughs> the the all-out buying immediately started with a battle royal. Then it was straight into like I had like one video package, then into a tag ma- into the tag match with Private Party. Uh, <laughs> it's just like my God, there's no there was no break. So it was like an actual uh, like five-hour show. It's what it feels like after coming out of it. I had like very little energy for the main event. And when it's when I've done shows like this before by myself, I normally start at a different end just to make sure that. Everybody has to talk about the big things just before, uh, so like whilst you fall asleep, essentially, <laughs> while I was listening to this. You, I cover the big stuff before that, and I'll go back to like the pre-show and things after that. But, before I get into that, uh, please, you can hit me up on Twitter, at the damn Implicat, as I've already said. However, there is also a chat function on the player, so if you are listening live after watching AW All Out, please click on the like speech bubble and let me know your thoughts on each of the matches as I talk about them. I might read them out if if I remember to look. If you've ever listened to one of my shows, the issue is not me remembering to look. It's me remembering to look in time when the thing's relevant. <laughs> so, however, I will see them. So you can hit me up on that. Uh, I should hopefully respond. Anyway, AW All Out. And yes, I am live. <laughs> I can't believe it. I've got a very, very weak tea. Uh, it's because I gave myself five minutes. I was able to set it to mash four, two, and then pressed it up against the side, and it's done feck all. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> As an Englishman, you know how important that is, and I've mucked it up. But yeah, so the I guess the biggest thing is about ten minutes ago we finished watching AEW All Out with the image of Chris Joko holding high the AEW Championship, the the inaugural AEW World Champion. The pinnacle of the promotion. And this is exactly what I would have done. 
because the push of Adam Page as like this hero babyface to be the first champion hasn't worked. And my, I was talking about this on Thursday on my uh, normal show on LFP Radio, uh, Imp's LFP Radio Adventure. Not sure on the name. Might be changing it. I like the way Imp on LFP flo- flows. <laughs> I had to say it very funny. I had to say it quickly. Like Imp on LFP. It's like, I like it. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, on that show I predicted that I, I, put, I said that I personally would pick Chris Jericho to win because the Adam Page thing hasn't quite worked and it would make a lot more sense to have Chris Jericho as the first champion and then someone like Adam Page can then spend time climbing. Because like, I think we can all agree that he's got the potential to be a top guy and he, he is going to reach that potential at some point. It's just not quite there yet. And that's been a, a kind of exemplified over these past few months. However... It, and it makes sense that he would also chase. However, with Chris Jericho, he's like, yeah, he's a perfect guy to make your first world champion. He's, he's uh, Also, to the casual fans, he is somebody they will really know. And he's not just like a lower card guy. He's like, no, he's a main event guy. Like, he beat this rock and stone cold in the same night, damn it. <laughs> it's like, it's Chris mother flipping Jericho. <laughs> no one calls him that. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it's Chris Jericho. A big name within the wrestling industry. So having him as champion is, for me, the move I would have gone with. Uh, I'm not sure what the original plan was before the whole kerfuffle with Pac. Uh, then we've had another kerfuffle, <laughs> which brought Pac back. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Uh, uh, but yeah, in terms of the actual match quality, it's quite difficult to judge after you've already watched four and a half hours of wrestling, and it's 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> so it's a little bit tough to properly judge how the, the quality of the match was. However, it felt like a decently fine, strong main event. Um, it it was pretty much exactly what I was expecting. I wouldn't have gone with Chris Jericho to be the one who ended up bleeding for like the second half of the match, but it guess it added a viciousness to Adam Page. Even though he defeated, he showed something different because that's what I was expecting. Uh, my prediction was Adam Page would show some form of desperation or something different to kind of make this attempt in the main event feel slightly different than what we've seen beforehand. We've seen him put on amazing matches, like even in Ring of Honor or the G1 Climax or even in AEW. We've seen him do good matches. However, Chris Joker is a completely different beast in the main event. And we did see Adam Page, obviously he's the one who busted open Chris Jericho. He's the one who started to really elevate the, I guess, the ending sequence to his own downfall. And Chris Jericho hit the Judas effect and it didn't look shit. <gasps> amazing. It actually looked good. Isn't that great? Chris Jericho. Like, finally, that's great to see. Uh, so, uh, Chris Jericho's Judas Effect finish can look good, and it worked perfectly. Like, m- just mid-sequence hitting it, it was, yeah. It was like the, with Okada and the Rainmaker. If you go back and watch Okada, the first time he hit it at Wrestle Kingdom when he returned, it's it's not a... It's, it's closer to a side effect by Matt Hardy. <laughs> like, it's just bad. It's, and it's meant to be a clothesline. That's how bad it was. And then he fast forward like a month, if even less than that, and he's wrestling Hiroshi Tanahashi, and he's, he's immediately nailed it. It looks incredible. Um, I'll compare it to that, mostly because it's gone from shit against Kenny Omega to it properly worked and felt like the finish and the crowd popped for it in this match against Adam Page. Also, it was quite interesting to see the crowd was split. You had the fans cheering for Adam Page, and then you had the 
other fans cheering for Chris Jericho. With the thank you Jericho chance as well. Because Chris Jericho is saying AEW wouldn't be at this stage or wouldn't exist if it wasn't for me. And some of the fans have taken that legitimately with the Maple Leaf of Canada. <laughs> Zion saying thank you Jericho. As if, like, no, he's right. This is because of him. What we're all getting here, this massive stage, this huge success. <laughs> it's like his name is really helping sell this. Uh, it's selling it to, to like a casual audience who aren't in the wrestling bubble. So, like, that is good to see. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> in the side of the wrestling bubble, like, the people who are mostly selling out these shows, uh, no. <laughs> That's why the narrative works as a heel. Because, like, to the casuals, like, oh, Chris Jericho, but to the wrestling fans who are inside the bubble, like, no, uh, Chris Chris Jericho didn't. It's the elite, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, it works as a narrative. I like it. I, again, the reason I brought up earlier was that with the, like, was it too late in the show? It was because for the first half, I was struggling to get into it. I popped for the horse. Even if you look at my Twitter feed, I'm like, he's on a horse! <laughs> it's like, yes, this is amazing. Adam Page is immediately uh, like a boy. <laughs> he's a fan. He's a favourite of imps of mine. Immediately after he, he makes an entrance on a horse, like he, he said he was going to do it. It's like, but is he actually going to do it? And then it came to the moment. It's like, yes, he's on a horse. Like, You're a fucking horse, Adam Page. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Uh, and Chris Jericho just with his theme and entrance and spiky outfit made his way down to the ring. But yes, it was a very uh, main slow main event building kind of affair and then the blood kind of injected stuff you got some amazing counters uh, I love the way they sold that like Adam Beige was like digging into the well and uh, using his athleticism but Chris Jericho is a veteran and he knows how to counter that sort of thing uh, best example being the shooting star press off the apron to the outside and Chris Jericho caught it with a code breaker <laughs> that was an amazing spot there are lots of little things like that like Chris Jericho countering when Adam Page tried to up the ante and and that led all the way to the end where Chris Jericho well Adam Page kind of ignited I think I think I remember this rightly with Adam Page kind of igniting that final sequence going for uh the thing where he he's got him dangling over the back in like a reverse Alabama and then just drops to his knees I've forgotten the name of it am I allowed I'm gonna forget a lot of things just like if it really annoys you, just hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> just like I just let just let you know. I do know the name of these things. I just don't. At gone five a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I'm gonna forget names. Uh. But yes, my like in terms of I don't really do star ratings. It's did I enjoy it? Did I really enjoy it? Type of thing. Like I don't watch wrestling to give a match a star rating. So like when I see people saying, "Oh well, like the, the star ratings for that women's battle royal will really show uh, the feeling to these kinds of matches," and I'm like. What, what there are people I'm not the only one who kind of watches wrestling like I do like there's no star rating it's very it's a lot more simple version like, I guess it's like a star rating but if there are only three stars and like everything kind of got coated with I say three stars but like the what I would write would what each one would mean would change from day to day <laughs> so just like it's a really really fluid system that doesn't really mean anything there's not really any structure to it <laughs> I'll change it day by day if you read my raw review columns that have been going up on lots of pain recently, like I think I've got stuff like watch it on YouTube. It's like, yeah, this show was totally watchable. Like that's my ratings, not five five stars or a plus or anything like that. <laughs> so, yeah, but this main event, I think I need to watch it after the fact when it's not like part of a show because I found with Fight for the Fallen, which was also really really long, that it, uh, when I went back and watched it at a later point, I enjoyed the show a lot more. 
when I wasn't watching the main event and it was a really long main event and I wasn't watching it at four in the morning or something. Uh, I did, these shows seem to work quite well with a, when you rewatch them, which is good to see. Uh, I'm, that's, I, that makes me happy, that does. <laughs> and I was still popping into these matches and late on, so they had my attention. I was just tired. I was just fatigued. It's it's a current wrestling trend I'm not a fan of. Mostly because I'm English, and that means I'm up really late rather than just super late. Super late would be... That would be... That's, a, that's an escalation higher. I'm not doing good English language. Good. <laughs> uh, but yes. The main event was... I think it was good. I don't... It wasn't exceptional. There was the... Um, I think people call it like the smoke and mirrors kind of bells and whistles type of affair. But for me, that's all part of a wrestling skill set. I don't quite understand why those sort of things are looked at. It's like, oh, he doesn't have amazing athleticism. It's like, but it's more than athleticism that makes a wrestler. And that's maybe, maybe it's because I don't do the starvating thing. <laughs> I do, did I enjoy it? Did I go mental for it type of thing? Like, what was my reaction when I watched it? I don't give it like a formal categorical listy <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but yeah. Chris Joker, Adam Page, perfectly fine main event, crowning the first world champion. Personally, I think it was the right choice. Uh, Hangman Page can now go on a rebuild type of thing. We don't know how this will mentally affect him. We'll see it on being the elite. We'll see all the horse stuff on being the elite. <laughs> That's something to really look forward to. <laughs> Seriously, I'm more excited to see all the backstage horse stuff than I am like anything else <laughs> this coming week. Like, sorry WWE, but... On Monday, that is the thing I'm looking forward to. <laughs> when they post being the elite, and we get to see Adam Page backstage, or even beforehand, learning how to horse ride. <laughs> like, why do I pop for this? Wrestling fans are weird. <laughs> I'm part of it. Ah, uh, yeah. But anyway, a perfectly fine main event from what I could tell, uh, and told the story that it needed to, and it felt the occasion felt like it was a big occasion, like the commentary getting it over pretty well. A commentary I thought were great for most of the night. Again, because I'm tired, I'm very easy I can very easily zone out or tune out some some noise. Like I saw some people on Twitter complaining and putting quotes of what Jim Ross had said and I'm just sat there like, Yeah, I caught none of that. <laughs> like I was what I caught the match, I was watching the match, but I just the commentators, quite often I just didn't hear what they were saying. Like I heard the noise of them speaking, and myself I was reacting sometimes to what they did say, but yeah, I missed out a lot, especially JR. I don't know why. <laughs> I, did, I had an amazing ability to miss what JR was saying and <laughs> just watch the wrestling. Uh, apparently that was a good, maybe a good thing, because I saw quite a few complaints, but I didn't catch any of it. <laughs> so my opinion is the commentary was fine. So yeah. But yes, a perfectly fine main event, did what it, need, did what it needed to, establish Chris Jericho as the main event guy. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, we also would love to hear what any of you think about this main event. It, throughout the whole show, just hit me up at any point. Even if you're listening post-show, as in when this is now recorded at this at the, the time you're listening to it, please do hit me up. I'm always open to talk about wrestling. And hit Jan Man up as well. Uh, yeah. As I said at the start of the show, he, my normal co-host, for which is I've done all of the AEW shows with him so far. However, this time he is there live in Chicago, and he's probably stuck in Chicago traffic now. <laughs> so, hopefully, he enjoyed himself. Yeah, I know he's not a massive fan of these super, super, super long shows either. So, it'll be interesting to get his thoughts. Uh, he'll be live on Kingdom of Honor on Monday night if you want to. He will give his thoughts on this show. So, that's, uh, look forward to that. But the next big match I want to talk about is. The ladder match, the Escalera de la Muerte, 
between the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and May Phoenix and the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. So the Lucha Bros enter this match as the Tag Team Champions because it's the AAA World Tag Team Championships. There was AEW don't have any Tag Team Championships yet. Uh, there, I saw quite a few people on Twitter saying, have we heard anything about the AW Tag Team Championship? So I guess if you are one of those people who doesn't watch Being the Elite, doesn't watch The Nightmare Family, doesn't watch anything on the AW YouTube channel, there's quite a lot out there <laughs> at the moment. So, um, and like hundreds of thousands watch these videos, so there is an audience there, and a lot of the, like someone like me, I am engaged, I do watch all those videos, I keep up to what I know, but if you're not, like if you're tuning in for the pay-per-views and not really much else, then yeah, you want to know not much about this tag team tournament because they've kind of explained it on the shows. It's not quite come across perfectly fine. Then they've gone into more detail on the other stuff. But when television starts, there will be a tag team tournament and these tag team matches that you've been seeing on the shows have been uh, to build up, pretty much building up to uh, the Dark Order versus Best Friends match that we saw in the mid-card. And that was for a first round buy in the tournament. That tournament starts once their television starts. So the Dark Order now have a bye in that first round, which, again, they're the big heels they're building up. They were the team that should have won. That makes sense in that context. Heels get byes, not good guys. <laughs> it's just, it is a wrestling thing which works. Why would you give the good guy the ability to skip a match and be like he's not earned it? No, give that to the bad guy. <laughs> it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, but yeah, so... Uh, they, that's why they don't have tag team champions, but there is a tournament on the horizon once television starts. Uh, I think on the same show they'll be building, they'll be doing the women's world uh, championship as well. So that also got kind of built to in a very similar fashion to the men's title. It's it's one of those where once it's in circulation and they can do defenses and things, it's like yeah, that's what I care about more than is, this is essentially the prologue to the actual book. Like, you don't judge a book by its prologue, you judge it by, like, the content, the whole story kind of thing. So, that's why I've not actually passed any judgment or given any proper big review on my thoughts on AEW, because I'm like, well, we've essentially just finished the prologue tonight, now we can turn to chapter one on on October, what's it? (laughs) Whenever it is. Like, yeah, we've not started the story yet. Like, maybe at the end of the year, I'll be able to do an assessment where we've kind of hit a flow where the nostalgia, not nostalgia, where the novelty's worn off and it's a bit more normal that AW is a thing on our television every single week. So, yeah. Anyway, a bit distracted. Anyway, that's why <laughs> there's no AW Tag Team Championships, even though these two teams are easily the most popular in AW at the moment. So, it would, wouldn't, wouldn't seem out of character to have this be the title match, but no, I kind of like how it's working now. And it ties into AEW's partnership with AAA. Um, CMLL are working with uh, New Japan. It's like a, there is a circle kind of diagram where, with all the interlocking of where each promotion is and then which companies they're working for. <laughs> and it's like AAA is the one that's working with AEW. CMLL is the one that's working with New Japan and Ring of Honor. However, there were talks that WWE might want CMLL. And uh, AAA is the one that AEW are working with. If WWE did get a partnership with CMLL, as far as I know, no, AEW would not be pissed off. They're not like, oh, that's the one that they've been working with. It's not. It's a different promotion. <laughs> I saw news. I did see news that uh, uh, WWE were apparently in talks to maybe start partnerships with CMLL. And I was like, oh, that'll piss off AEW, won't it? I was like, why? 
<laughs> a bit of confusion there. Yeah, there's more than one promotion in Mexico. There's at least two. <laughs> they're the only two I really know much about. There's, I know there's more, but they're the only two. But I don't really, I've not, never been able to get into that scene. But anyway, AW have this partnership, and this is kind of part of it, is the defending of these titles. And if you've watched Triple Mania, then this was also a match that was on Triple Mania as well. Uh, but yes, this was kind of mental. And uh, it built, the commentators kind of briefed you with it at the beginning of the match. Like it, We saw a spot where it was like just a suicide dive or something. And uh, it might have been Golden Boy or, or Excalibur. Uh, es- Excalibur. Excalibur. Excalibur's like his Spanish cousin. <laughs> yeah, so he was saying that uh, I've got a feeling that at the end of this match, this will seem like one of the mo- tamer moments of this, of this affair. <laughs> and I was like, yes. If I know anything about the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks... It's one of those matches where they kind of go from spot to spot and they increase the mentalness of each spot over the course of the match. So it's like a massive... Like the uh, TLC match really was a massive stump roll and Lucha Brothers' Young Bucks have taken that to the next level of... It's a escalated stump roll. So I guess kind of fitting the Escalera name in a little way where they are themselves escalating the... I guess, mentalness of what they're doing. <laughs> like, the name really does fit. <laughs> it's like, how did no one die? <laughs> it was some of them were insane. Especially the Canadian destroyer off the top of the ladder by Pentagon Jr. on Matt Jackson through the table. And, like, on the replay, I watched it and I was just like, I just want to see how Pentagon lands, just to see uh, how Matt Jackson, like, was perfectly fine. And I, was, I watched it, it's like, nope, Pentagon nailed that. Matt Jackson, yeah, it was a mental spot. <laughs> Whenever there was a like absolutely mental spot in this show, pretty much like it's one of those things where like what I just watched was crazy. However, it was executed really well. <laughs> like it's one of those like, where the nerd brain kicks in. It's like yeah, but it was it was executed really well. <laughs> so it was really like minimal. The risk was really lowered by them performing it perfectly, which is great to see. <laughs> uh, but yes. This match just got crazier and crazier. That Canadian story I was talking about was like a absolutely mental point. Then you got the, I call it the Jeff Hardy spot, where you got the really big ladder on ringside and there's a table and then you do a swanton through it or a splash through it. So where we had Phoenix on, Phoenix on one with Matt ready to go and then Nick was on top of the other with Pentagon on the table and they... Yeah, like if you jump, I'll jump through your brother. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'll, I'll jump through your brother if you jump through my. Bro-. And yeah, they did that. Yeah, <laughs> someone joked on Twitter that this the story of this match. This is better to kill the other person's brother than try and save your own. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very interesting message coming from AW. Ooh. There's also going to be lots of pauses to me to drink water. Yeah, not a perfect time for me to have a dry throat. <laughs> Uh, but yes, if you like ladder matches, absolutely full of spots, especially spots where they escalate in madness, this match is for you. 100% you will love this match. If you are somebody who prefers story, especially if you prefer a ladder match which builds a story around the ladders or whatever, I guess Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins might be an example, or I guess more of the original ones like the Shawn Michaels when he was doing those matches with the ladders introducing them against Razor Ramon and Bret Hart. So, or Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. That's also another really good example. If you like those kind of matches, 
then this ladder match probably isn't for you. <laughs> As like my kind of uh, example is, it was going from spot to spot in terms of the story was the mentalness that each person was doing was being upped and upped over the course of the match to a crazy point where again you're getting Canadian destroyers, you're getting ringside splashes, you're getting the uh, package pile driver stomp thing <laughs> done on the Jackson. It's like yeah, or, or Nick Jackson with that crazy fall and um, <laughs> where he fell through the table and you know, it's meant to fall for both of them and just fell through one and he, like, he's lying there and it's like oh I can see blood in his hand hopefully that's just a cut on his hand it's like oh that was a mental bump but yeah so it just escalated and escalated there wasn't really much more story outside of that <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those where it's like oh why isn't he climbing the ladder oh because spot why would you jump why would you climb the ladder to win the match when he can do a cool spot <laughs> that's the kind of logic of this one where you're building up the craziness of the spots and sometimes the actual point of the match of climbing the ladder get the thing gets lost in the shuffle but it's no incapacitate your opponent do crazy stuff then you can climb the ladder that's the order they do it in rather than we're going to try and climb the ladder and we'll center we'll center the match around the ladder because that's the story you're trying to climb it right like no you incapacitate your opponent then climb the ladder and that's the tactic to go from there yeah a great example of a Young Bucks ladder match where it's again just upping the ante every single time and at the end of it it's just yeah (laughs) you're knackered but it was a great match you enjoyed the entire thing I can't really can't really put it over any more than that like I personally loved it but it I've briefed you on it (laughs) pretty much yeah I enjoyed it for what it was knowing that it wasn't going to have any story it would just be a massive stunt show which it was it was just some of those it was crazy like (laughs) my god Uh, yeah highly recommend uh, you watch it if you are the kind of person who is perfectly fine of story being a tad vacant for mental spots (laughs) which essentially was this match right and in this section there is one more match I wanted to I thought it was going to be four matches when I was planning this out earlier However, like really it was a the New Japan special of the three match main event in a way, and the rest of the card was its own building the world kind of thing. Uh, so after this I'll go through the card like in order. But the final one is uh, Cody who defeated Sean Spears. Uh, so the mystery was that Sean Spears uh, was going to have Tully Blanchard and Cody say he would have someone at his aid. Uh, Cody's helper was MJF. Which uh, I assumed it would do a type of thing where it had all because th- it had uh, Farrow out with MJF with uh, DDP with Brandy and I assumed the lights would go out and it would play the Titantron or maybe not the lights going out they just play the Titantron of somebody and gets a pop. Uh, there was something slightly different where it was for the entire match MJF <laughs> he was the person that was with Cody at ringside. However, when Tony Blanchard started getting super interfering and like really messing up the match. Uh, eventually, Arn Anderson came down and with still enforcing with style, hit an amazing double A spine buster on Sean Spears. After all of the cheating and things, and it's like that you've reached that breaking point. Like, oh, yep, no, you've crossed the line of me, uh, even possibly cheering, cheering for you, Sean Spears. Uh, and then AA hits a double, I can't say, <laughs> Arn Anderson hits a double A spine buster. There we go. And yeah, it was a. It was a great pop moment, and in fact, it led straight to the finish. Meant that everyone was like awake and cheering, and excited. So, because yeah. really, after the cracker barrel clash, 
the uh, tag team match got a bit of a quiet reaction. The uh, the uh, Joshi match got an even quieter reaction, even though that they were they wanted to cheer for it. They were just tired by the sound of it. And then Cody Sean Spears brought everybody back in because uh, yeah, it was it's just, it was just a long show. Which this is the kind of thing that happens. Like maybe a match needs to get cut, but uh, over time we'll see how, how they like it. But yes, I, this is what this was the the blood feud of the show, the one with the most story, and the play the way they did it really was playing off of their time in OVW and the success that Cody has had and Sean Spears is like I deserve these same amounts, I deserve that success and the envy is written all over him. Uh, calling himself the chairman of AEW after smashing Cody over the head with a steel chair. Uh, the, the lights went out and when they came back on, Sean Spears was in the on in the middle of the entranceway, sat on a chair in silence. You couldn't see his face because he had uh, a towel draped over his head. But that image really worked. He was just sat there on a chair, not moving, and immediately you understand the the story here. Uh, there was no crazy spot like that, but it was just like the story they told really, really worked. And then his music played, he slowly walks down, Tully comes out, take it out. Oh my god, he's wearing scary contacts. <laughs> like Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and that uh, the way this match started as well with the hot, <laughs> good start of Cody Rhodes just immediately going after Sean Spears after his amazing Star Trek entrance. <laughs> like the niche crossover of Star Trek and wrestling fans <laughs> it's like yes it was a cool entrance with him rising up as well it was a uh, the niche crossover let's take a sip of my tea mm. oh it's essentially warm milk <laughs> but soothe the throat anyway it'll do but yes this match was hot from the get go uh, Cody go immediately going after Sean Spears and brawling into the crowd and Really igniting them, especially as it could have been a bit dead. And this match starting off hot like this was the perfect way to do it. Uh, really, this is exactly how the uh, Seth Rollins Dean Ambrose match should have gone. Like after the feud, like when the feud started and they started doing the matches with chain wrestling, it's like, ah, oh, isn't it like a heated blood feud in a way? And then Cody Shaw Spears showed us like this is the kind of aggression that really works with this kind of story. It fits really, really well. And. Uh, yeah, Cody going after Sean Spears, and Sean Spears' entire point is that he deserves everything that Cody's got. And yes, the envy's written all over him, but when it comes to the actual wrestling match, it's like, I deserve all of this, and I'm going to prove it. Everybody is uh, rate, like, rating me way lower than I actually am. So again, I like the way it built, and the, the match did build off that, and uh, Tully Blanchard's was kind of an instigator. He was there with Sean Spears getting involved, low-blowing Cody, uh, distracting the effort. All of the heel stuff, <laughs> Tony Blanchard was there doing it. Uh, MJF wasn't seemingly much help. <laughs> he'd, he'd verbally tell Tully off afterwards, but aside from that, it's like, good, da- good damn it, MJF needed Arn Anderson to come down. He weren't doing his job. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was uh, one of those matches that, uh, again, because it was so late in the card... As the match went on and it goes into that period of Sean Spears dominating, that means it goes a little bit slower. Uh, my brain starts to turn off because it was, uh, yeah, again, like half past three to four in the morning when this one was on. <laughs> so my brain started to drift <laughs> during those moments. But it built up really, really well. And the Arn Anderson moment was the tipping point to turn it right back into Cody's favour. Uh, there were some, uh, some awesome spots of a 
I forgot what it's called. I think it was like a... It's like the Randy Orton thing where they bounce off the ropes and it's like a T-bone suplex into like the pinning kind of thing. I think it's called T-bone. That was awesome by Cody. Uh, and... Uh, well, I can't say his name. And Sean Spears also has some awesome, awesome offence. Uh, MJF having his fights with Tully was interesting. Well, that was the immediate thing of Cody attacked Sean Spears and then immediately attacked Tully. It was like, oh... He's attacking the elderly man, <laughs> but he's the elderly man's also a knobhead. <laughs> he's a like in WWE, he, like he wouldn't go after Tully, and I just liked that where it was kind of breaking that wall we used to. Where like I'm all for AEW being as different to WWE as possible once television starts because variety. Because I'm planning to watch as much as possible. Obviously, life will dictate how realistic that goal is, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, my 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 aim at the moment is to watch everything, and t- in terms of that, variety will be king. If it's as as different from WWE as it could possibly be, that that'd be great for me. Uh, but they can also play off the walls that have been built up by WWE, essentially having a monopoly. Again, that's why I find it a little bit ridiculous. People expect them to not mention WWE when, for how many years they have been wrestling in America, as in they are wrestling. How can you not mention their existence? WWE can do that because they are the monopoly. But if you're someone new, if you if you, if you say wrestling, they that most casual people will think WWE. So get ahead of it. Kind of start saying, "Well, we won't be doing that. We'll be doing this." You can poke jokes because WWE themselves will also poke jokes. Like I don't, yeah, I don't understand the hate towards that. Personally, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. Oh, and also there were, um, I did see some... Because now you're getting people jumping on board who maybe haven't seen like the original kind of stuff for AEW, but they've heard a lot of... And the television's coming in now, so you maybe have more viewers than you've ever had before. But it was the thing of, oh, they're swearing, that's not good for investors. It's like, they are marketing themselves as TV14, as in, that is how they are marketing themselves. So it's like, oh, you could have said, you can go, oh, uh, the advertisers and investors, they're not going to like uh, swearing type of things. Well, that's how they're advertising themselves. If they don't like it, they won't invest beforehand. Like, that was a massive issue that WWE had, I think, before they went public, where they, when they turned to that side, where the, the S-Studio kind of began. Like, the advertisers and sponsors were a little bit nervous. And I won't be surprised if it's still the same here. Uh, but, yeah, if that's how they're advertising themselves, there will be no surprise. Like, <laughs> it's not oh suddenly people are swearing at Starcast and AEW will be endorsing that <laughs> it's like well yeah like, the rating's already there They've this is how they are branding themselves <laughs> like for better or for worse there is no surprise that there will be found language what we saw all out though was on the actual AEW official feeds the swear words were bleeped out like, they didn't stop their wrestlers from saying them but they would be bleeped out so just like you see with quite a few dramas on American television like, if you watch Mr. Robot on American television, you'll get bleeped out. I think on Canadian television it doesn't. I'm going by anecdote. Because <laughs> obviously over here, uh, we get it on Amazon Prime, like Mr. Robot. Internet doesn't give a crap about swearing. And they're perfectly fine, standards-wise. I don't get American television. Are they of a past generation? Is that why they are so like sensitive? Or has it just become television have got its standards and these are kind of what you don't break like yeah <laughs> like again my this is a tangent I know <laughs> but uh, my brother's fiance is from Utah and she said that when she came over and watched television with us that it kind of 
it was really shocking to see people just on a panel show just talking, joking about having a laugh and openly swearing on television. And like to her, that was like, oh my my god, this is on like nine o'clock on television, and they're allowed to swear. Like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. I don't know if that's just a thing in America, <laughs> but yeah. We swear on television. It's it's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't qu- quite understand the issue. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> uh, I was talking about Cody Sean Spears because I wanted to finish that and throw to a break, but <laughs> I got a little bit distracted. So, yes, Cody Sean Spears. It felt like a beautiful blood feud, especially with the aggression showed in the early stages, and then it built and it built, and the infuriation of Tully Blanchard's presence slowly built and built, built until Arn Anderson came out he levelled everything and Cody Rhodes had the momentum from then to uh, win the match. So yeah, Sean Spears there has got a get out. Yes, he lost to Cody after saying, I am worthy of this spot. But part of that story that they are kind of telling is it's more envy than actual truth. Like, yes, they were training together in OBW, but Cody's he's achieved so much since then and Sean Spears just hasn't. Like, the character of Ty Dillinger and the kind of failure of him and he was kind of seen as a bit of a joke and wasn't really featured on WWE television, that leads into his Sean Spears thing where he's desperate to be taken seriously. And at the end of the day, he lost to Cody. But his get-out was that he did get a double-A spinebuster <laughs> before Cody came in and finished him off. So he's, has, he's got that. Yes, as a heel, he will ignore all the Tully interference and that like, Cody was fighting over for the whole match. <laughs> He's a heel. He's got to ignore those sort of things and not see the flaws in himself. It's like Good guys often see their own flaws and build and become stronger. Heels don't do that. <laughs> he won't recognise there's anything wrong. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'm doing really well to stay away from politics. My brain is jumping all over the place. <laughs> anyway, uh, with that, I'm going to take a quick advertisement break to keep this Laws of Pain thing up on the airs because it's not cheap to keep this up and running. Uh, anyway, uh, and I desperately need a drink of tea. So let's get this up so I can do a thing. If you are listening live, uh, this would be a perfect time for you to send in any chat things so I can see them and hopefully remember later to read them out. But uh, if not, enjoy your geolocated ads, everybody. Uh, enjoy... Silence for five seconds. <laughs> In a bit. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> on this, uh, we've got our studio here on Spreaker. It's got different sound effects, so I thought I'd click one. And it's got like three happy smiley faces. I was like, oh, let's see what the smiley faces do. Turns out like a quiet kind of little laugh. <laughs> it's like a really shit stinger. <laughs> they did nothing. Uh, I need to get AW Aftershock stingers. Uh, things from AW or like stingers from the themes themselves just to put in at that moment. So like, that would work quite well just to actually make it a bit more professional <laughs> rather than clicking random buttons to see what happens there's a lightning bolt but it says 13 seconds that's quite long for a lightning bolt I'm wary of that one <laughs> and the gun don't really want to click the gun <laughs> they're not going to give anyone a bit any surprise oh. anyway uh, the rest of the card for AEW so there were 
Let me figure this out. Nine other matches. This was a long card. <laughs> I'm including the pre-show on that. Uh, and uh, I'll just go through in order, really. Just save my brain figuring something out more complicated. Because, <laughs> again, it's getting towards 6am. And it is not turning daylight. Uh, I've been doing these shows over the course of summer. So I've just been used to daylight. It being daylight now. But it's the 1st of September now. So uh, that's going to go. Yeah. It's time for Christmas, everyone. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, speaking of surprise presents, we got the Women's Casino Battle Royal. Uh, I'm just going to click on it to see if uh, we could see any AW Women's. Has it got the thing? Oh, I can't be asked to find the whole list of people. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, this was a quite surprising in the way it was booked. Uh, like overall, I like the idea of Nyla Rose being pushed to this beast throughout, and the wrestling trope of the beast is strong throughout the entire match, right until the end where someone does that spot where they like, grab their head and just slowly drag them over. It's seen as, as an impressive show of strength. And so uh, that's the spot we're used to, and they kind of played off that. And they, well, to be fair, it's, uh, people on Twitter are immediately very quick going, they've just done the Hogan Sid ending. <laughs> and it's like actually that's the point WWE themselves have had to find a way to work around that where you've got your fan favourite that you're expecting to go on that hype and use the strength and the will of the crowd to to, to hook them up to be ready to power the other the big guy over and uh, yeah they played off that trope pretty well and uh, yeah uh, B Priestley pulled Breaker out uh, at the end so I liked that story. I liked the final segment really, really uh, quite a lot where you had the, like, your favourites left and then they slowly eliminated each other. I thought that was done really, really well. The Nine of Rose thing was done really well. Uh, and you had the Bea Priestley and Britt Baker angle playing into the match, which was, again, done really well. And it made sense that how Britt Baker was eliminated made all the sense in the world and why Nyla would be like, oh, I can win here. Even though she's kind of treated a bit like a baby face. It's like, yeah, it worked really well. However, this is now the second time we've seen the Casino Battle Royal, and it it falls a bit flat structure-wise. <laughs> like maybe it's just because you get your deck of people, and they either kind of come in and don't get eliminated, and you kind of got your spots, or they all get eliminated pretty quickly, and it feels a bit weird. On Twitter, I called it like a highlight package of a match, where your people would come in, do their spots, get eliminated. It's like, it felt like watching... And then when the highlights... It hit me because when we watched the highlights package, I was just like... I mean, this feels pretty much what the match felt like. It was like at this pace as well, so you didn't really get invested in many of the people. It was awesome seeing the people come down, and you got those awesome pops. But for the actual structure of the match, it was really weird. And we saw it uh, at uh, Double or Nothing as well. And both times, I've not been a major fan of the structure of this. It's just a little bit weird I can't you don't really get invested in anything the Nyla Rose story worked but yeah it works because the other part of the critique is it is on the pre-show so I saw some people on Twitter comparing it to the Royal Rumble it's like why are you comparing this to the like a pre-show battle royal to like the thing that kickstarts WrestleMania, the road to Wrestlemania for WWE like it is a big deal the Royal Rumble this was it was weird because yes, it is on the pre-show. Yes, or the buy-in. Uh, yes, it is a battle royal on the pre-show. Yes, it is really condensed time-wise. 
but it's also like the winner received a match for the you know to become the inaugural AW Women's World Champion on October second. I remember the date now. <laughs> it's done. Uh, so there was importance tied to this. So it was a big deal in that way. But then it's still at the end of the, in terms of the structure of the card, it's still a battle royal on the pre-show. So in terms of the importance in that kind of way, it's like uh, it's a bit odd. And they've done the exact same thing with the men's. So you have mirrored where you've got one contender from the Battle Royal and one contender from the singles match. So they've mirrored it in that way. I don't know if that was the original plan, but it's one of those where, I mean, if you're doing, if you're booking equality for both the men and the women, they've done that <laughs> in terms of the actual uh, deciding of the contenders. Like, yeah, identically kind of been chosen. It's a little bit weird. What about them? Yeah. But yes. I liked Nyla Rose. Her narrative worked in the match. For me, like going to uh, television, her qualification, that was important. They've built up Nyla Rose as a beast. Now, uh, Rio, who we'll get to later, uh, she has to overcome Nyla Rose after only really over, only just overcoming Shida, or Hikaru Shida, say full name. Uh, yeah. So they, I like the now The story they've set up, for me, is good. I just didn't really care for most of the Battle Royal. It's like you saw, you popped for your favourites coming out, like to Neil Dashwood. Uh, Eva Lee was in that same group when they came out. I was like, this is a strong group. Like this deck of cards, really, it's showing how strong the kind of the uh, women scene on the indies is. Where he's just like, this, these are some stacked decks. <laughs> that is uh, great to see. And number th- the final uh, number twenty one was a great pop moment as well. But yes, yeah, so I like to Neil Dashwood in did a couple of spots out. Eva Lee's exactly the same. Uh, a few others got to shine. I'm forgetting names. It's a little bit irritating, <laughs> but I'll give the uh, king moment. Oh, the oh, the one with the awesome name, who was in the first block. I need to find out her name. Uh, casino but women's. I'm googling it because I'm professional. <laughs> women's casino battle. I know everyone else knows her name. Women's casino battle royal. Uh, what does it say here? Oh, names. Give me names. Give me. Names. I'm gonna know it as soon as I say Big Swall. That was it. Aaron Monroe, Big Swall. Um, she was brilliant. Like the kind of performance where it's like she is like really impressed. Sign her up if she is not signed up. Yeah. So she was in the first lot and she was she came across like really really well. Uh, there were others that I know are good like Eva Lee and Tennille Jack, uh, Tennille Jackson, Tennille Dashwood. <laughs> like these are uh, people I know who are good jazz as well. Jazz got the awesome pop and then didn't really do anything for I remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a shame. But, yeah. And Awesome Kong, I thought, would be saved until that final person comes out and then that final person can eliminate Awesome Kong. But, no. They eliminated her right before. And there were also some timing issues. Again, for me, I'm counting this as the prequel to the... Uh, not, not the prequel. The um, prologue to the book. So I'm expecting mistakes, in a way production things still not to be worked out there were quite a few other people like no you're about to go live on television this should be worked out by now I know how complicated this sort of thing is and the issue is they're going to be compared to WWE who have been doing this not just for years but for decades they have perfected their kind of presentation and how they like to uh, how they like to run their whole production and the pacing of things and figured all that out rather than AEW are seemingly still figuring out timing and stuff 
there's no there's not really much in terms of the way of they are so experienced they can go on preference and how they like to edit and cut and do things. Uh, there's there's that with the pre-recorded stuff, but with the live television, they're still figuring things out. Uh, I did appreciate, however, how at the end of the show you could hear the cameraman counting down till they went off air to Chris Jericho. <laughs> and I was like, as somebody who is timing going live afterwards, I found that really, really useful. <laughs> that, that, that was quite uh, convenient, so thank you, cameraman. Yeah, but Yes, Big Swole really impressed me. Uh, the name who I've not said yet, who got an amazing reaction, was Mercedes Martinez, uh, number 21. Uh, the, the special person who gets to come out by herself as the last entrant. She got an amazing reaction, felt like such a big deal, and then impressed when she like she backed it up, which was like a really important thing. She got an amazing pop, and then when she came in there, she kicked ass. Like again, the other person where were you watching it going? They surely they've signed her, or they're going to sign her. Like that was a massive moment, and her getting signed to a television contract finally. Hooray! <laughs> It'd be great to see. She felt like an immediate big deal. So that presentation worked. There were a lot of things in this match that did work. However, I still don't like... They're all things that could have been done with a different battle royal like uh, structure. I think I'm just not a fan of the structure because it, um, it kind of influences that highlight package kind of style, which I can't get invested in. <laughs> like, there's no kind of character to that. It's just they come in, do a spot, get eliminated. Like, it, one person in each deck gets more time to do stuff, but that doesn't really... That's not great, <laughs> really. Uh, it did wonders for some lesser known names, so that's great to see. But yeah, bit of a. I don't really care for the format. Even though, again, bigger picture <laughs> in terms of the other stuff, it works. Build up characters in certain ways for quite a few of them, so that's great to see. Uh, next up on the pre-show, we had Private Party defeating Angelico and Jack Evans in what I predicted on Thursday as a flippy do, lots of flips. Flip, flip, <laughs> kind of affair. That's exactly what this was. Um, I was thinking during this match that because they were talking about um, how Private Party won't just take you, they'll show off whilst doing it, and it's kind of like upping, upping themselves and how much they can show off and do lots of fancy flips and handstands and stuff. And I was like, I mean, I'm all, I'm actually all for Private Party essentially being like the Harlem Globetrotters of tag team wrestling, but they'll still play the match and the game perfectly well however like their goal as well is to be as flashy how much uh, mental athleticism can you do at the same time just to like show off and you, you fit that into their character and I was like actually yeah if Private Party being, being the Harlem Globetrotters of tag team wrestling I'm down for that and I reckon they can pull it off These are the, this is the kind of tag team that are athletic enough and fancy enough and flashy enough where it could work like with Anne Helico and Jack Evans, they're athletic enough, but the kind of flash and style isn't there. Private Party have got that. It can work. <laughs> I don't know if they... Again, that's not really... In terms of actual character, there's not really always much depth to that, and there's a ceiling to that idea. But uh, yeah, if anyone could put it off, it would be them. And Helico and Jack Evans, they are the experienced tag team who put over the other teams and make them look good, and that's pretty much what they did here. Uh, again, if you're a fan of uh, like the story in the match and the building of that, and you get the antagonists and the faces are doing all the best they can, but there's story around it. Like, yeah, not the match for you. This was flippy flippy do, <laughs> and it was a pre-show flippy do. Uh, yeah, uh, in really impressive athleticism, 
very little story. So again, depends what you care for in wrestling. Uh, this was mental spot after mental spot, and yeah, for me, this is a really good pre-show match because it does uh, like lift up the crowd and get them energized. Uh, yeah, again, I can't criticize it too much because it was on the pre-show. Now, I don't know in AEW how to assess it. Because the pre-shows in AEW so far have evidently meant more than the pre-shows in WWE. But um, I still don't know how to rate them like, with the rest of the show. When I go back and watch the show, these matches won't be on there. So it's uh, a little bit weird with me trying to figure out like, the actual how seriously to take them. <laughs> but yes, if you like Flippy-Doo, this is the match for you. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> but oh well. Uh, uh, now we get to the main card, and I've only got six more matches to get through. I don't know if that's right. I've, I'm tight. <laughs> maybe it's five. Maybe I'm halfway. Uh, so we started off the main card with SCU, SoCal Uncensored, uh, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, defeating... It came up on the graphics thing as Jurassic Express, but Justin Roberts announced them as a boy, a... No, was it a boy, a smaller boy, and his... Uh, that's not right. It must have been a smaller boy, a boy and his dinosaur, but he didn't say it like that. Whatever he said. <laughs> uh, yes, it was. Uh, this was everything I expected this match to be, and it was an amazing starter, especially because Jesus Christ is Luchasaurus over. Like you can see, loads of people on Twitter having like the exact same opinion of when this company started. Do you think anyone would have predicted that the most over like new entity would have become Luchasaurus? <laughs> it's just like that is kind of mental that a character like that has become so over like it's not just over a bit in a way or like yeah hey, we feel like we should cheer for you it's like no he is like properly over and the crowd go mental for everything he does the fact that he's a big man that can do athleticism like really helps as well even people who've seen him in Lucha Underground where like everybody did that style like even people who've seen that they're still like blown away <laughs> what the stuff he can do uh, the way they do it as well like they've got the two smaller guys so you just expect that those would be the people doing the flips and then suddenly out of nowhere <laughs> Luchasaurus will explode <laughs> and that works really well for the hot tag and like Luchasaurus's hot tags in this match but Jesus Christ <laughs> the crowd were going mental every time he was in there <laughs> running riot because oh, he's got his stiff kicks he's, and they're quick and they're flashy as well and, he, and he, he's got the backflips and he's got the strength again as well like you're watching him just thinking he's called Luchasaurus he's he's, a, he's pretending to essentially be a wrestling Lucha dinosaur but like he's got like he's the mo- most over person which <laughs> is insane uh, like in the future this guy could be like main event big deal um, maybe I'm shooting a bit high at the moment because it is this is like really really early days again I'm talking about this as a prologue to the actual uh, main story of AW, but yeah, Luchasaurus is incredibly over. Jungle Boy, he's somebody that the media so far have loved. Like he's very photogenic, and they found that out. I was like, oh, this could be somebody for the future. Just to keep an eye on in terms of that. The lovely story, obviously, being the son of Luke Perry as well. So he's got quite a lot go for him in terms of like that side of things. Uh, but he's, yeah, he's also a really lovable underdog character of Luchasaurus. Like him and Marcus Stunt are both because they're of smaller stature, but they've got athleticism. They're really good at like taking the heat, essentially getting beaten up by the heels or the opposite team, and trying to fight desperately, fight back to get to the other side before tagging either somebody who's got energy and is also athletic. So be it Stunt 
tagging boy or vice versa. Or they tag big boy Luchasaurus, <laughs> who runs by it and the crowd go crazy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love this match. This was a perfect opener for the show. Like, when I go back, that's what one major difference when I go back and watch these shows, is I don't watch the pre-show. I just watch the show as it is. Because when I'm watching live, I don't get that, and I do get the fatigue from the pre-show. But with this, yeah. <laughs> this is like the perfect start I can tell when I go back to watch the show that I'm going to pop when I realise that when, when I remember oh yeah this was the match that started off the show and it was yeah <laughs> I loved it yeah uh, yeah, can't recommend this match enough uh, I am somebody who's extremely into Luchasaurus and really rate SCU like as a unit as individuals uh, I rate all of them yeah so yeah I'm dying off a bit there <laughs> Uh, next was a bit of a surprise. Pack defeating Kenny Omega. So surprise number one. This match is second. Like wait, what? Not <laughs> a second. A surprise number two. Pack won. Okay then. <laughs> so uh, I think when I was on um, keeping it strong style, or was listening to a different podcast, I can't remember. Uh, there was a prediction that um, what's his face that Pack would win because he is like. Uh, Quite often in wrestling, when it's the substituted person, as in the per- like the guy who's coming as a substitute last minute, quite often they can use the expectation of oh the home guy's going to win, completely twist it on his head, and the substituted guy he comes in and he actually wins the match, and it's kind of become a bit of a wrestling trope, but that's what happens. And I was like, nah, he'll <laughs> be fine. No, yeah, uh, Kenny Omega's going to win this, and they'll build him up to Moxley, and there's like rumours of packs. Um, contract with AW not being super, super long or confirmed or whatever or he might be going away for a bit or something like that I'm not entirely sure but uh, yeah Pack actually won here which is <laughs> quite surprising it makes him feel special so when he turns up again he's like he's the guy who defeated Kenny Omega it was in an interesting fashion as well where for me this is how I would much prefer a match in the ring to lead to another match because I don't really like how WWE uh, they'll have like it turned into a brawl and they both get counted out that kind of thing like shenanigans like they're entirely sports entertainment-y things <laughs> but in terms of like the wrestling world they're trying to do it more sports story that the sports entertainment-y things don't really fit into what the a- presentation of AEW as a whole yes there will be things within sports entertainment that AEW will do especially comedy stuff it doesn't it'd be stupid to write off everything WWE does because they're a success for a reason, just to write them off because they're the other is stupid. Again, doing really well to not drift into politics. <laughs> but yes, uh, Pack and Kenny Omega, um, the thing I really liked, again, leading into that, setting up the next one, was Kenny Omega got countered by something new, by a deadly submission, and he was so fatigued at the time that he was trying to end the match, and he got caught. He was sloppy, and Pack got him, essentially. Kenny Omega criticised John Moxley for not taking the match seriously. However, that kind of fits in this narrative as well, that Kenny Omega was didn't take Pac seriously enough, and he got caught. He paid for it, which was uh, a surprising turn. And the match went over 23 minutes as well. Uh, it, it felt like everything I expected it to be, essentially. Like, I really enjoyed this match. Like, And I think I saw like the best... Like jumping drop kick off the top rope I think I saw the two best ones of those that I've seen all year and they were both in this match <laughs> like Pac first then Kenny Omega 
Like those standing drop kicks from the top rope were both amazing. <laughs> it's great. Uh, Kenny Omega being the V triggers. Uh, both men doing mental moves to the outside. Uh, Pack's looking the way more painful. But it built into that story of yeah, they both got incredible athleticism, but they're they're taking it out of each other. Uh, accidentally exemplified when they both have poison varnas and they seem to both just fail hard <laughs> trying to execute the uh, poison varna, uh, just ending up just hitting each other and yeah. But the fans were like up for it enough that it didn't really. They did seem to get taken out by the poison varna, but they were up for this match enough that it didn't really matter and they won them back. Like within thirty seconds, everyone's back into it. So it's like a it's a big blip, but still a blip on the overall picture. So, like, in terms of me rating this match, uh, in terms of my ratings, I really, really enjoyed it. It's one of my more favourite matches of the night. Actually, there's quite a few when I look at the card, actually. Because <laughs> in my head, I'm like, oh, there was a lull at some point. It was like, no, actually, I think it was only two matches, and it was back in. <laughs> so, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Pack uh, really surprised me, because I didn't expect him to win. He's been put across as such a big deal. Um, again, you see some people, um, I say you see, I've seen, it doesn't mean you will, <laughs> I've seen some people just like, well, well Pac was never a big deal in WWE and it makes AEW seem lower for making him, treating him as a bigger deal, which is logic I don't understand, especially when you've got really talented people who are evidently not being allowed a bigger opportunity, so Pac was one of those people where the viewers were, had seen him do amazing work on the 205 live scene, and they were like, he has earned that next level. He has proven himself. Like He's reverted his character to an amazing level. The actual in-ring stuff, is, he's naming it as well. He has done everything. <laughs> like, he is ready to go to that next level and be, see if the character can then work at that higher level. And WWE never let him. He goes to the indie scene, and everywhere has, he's been has let him go to that next level and treated him as a big deal. AEW, no exception. They also treated Pac as an amazing, a massive deal, and he beat Kenny Omega as well. Just to lift him even more. <laughs> like, Pac is a big deal. He's extremely talented, and WWE were the only ones who didn't seemingly see that, which is interesting. Uh, yeah. He'll fit in really well at AEW. Uh, obviously, I'd there's rumours about what his contract might be, but maybe that's just because nobody knows. There's <laughs> been no official announcements over rumours just run wild until somebody addresses it. But yeah, this really surprised me. Uh, also, this was the first match that I noticed the uh, record where it was coming up on the names. So it come up with like the ti- their title, the title card with their name on it, but on the right-hand side of that was a record of like wins and losses. Obviously, for most people, it's either one nil or nil nil or nil two or nil what like really low numbers <laughs> so obviously at the moment it doesn't really mean much uh, but they're putting over a commentary how Kenny Omega has was a 1-0 it's like did his match against Chima not count as a little little, little weird did that just go over all of the production or <laughs> were they actively not really counting those two smaller shows uh, I mean generally interested because that felt like a bit of a such a blatant thing that, that they kind of regard a hold of them and it feels really weird that they've missed that really <laughs> but the story they were telling was can Kenny Omega break his rut the answer was no uh, but there was a reason for it he slipped and I love the build of this match as well like you got that first like five minute sequence where now and then they're hitting moves on each other they're able to drag each other about 
but like when it comes to actually hitting any moves that will do proper damage, like everything was getting countered. Uh, it's like, yeah, I love that. Whenever they try to truly do something, the other person will counter it because it's too early in the match and it builds up and builds up. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this match. <laughs> ah, yeah. So, next up, a match that I wasn't sure going in and then halfway through I still was I was even less sure and then by the end of it I enjoyed I was like I enjoyed that ride <laughs> it was mental it was crazy it was insane <laughs> I did I was like what am I watching but by the end of it I was like no I really enjoyed that <laughs> so uh, Jimmy Havoc defeated uh, first off I called Jimmy Havoc winning and I want to be labelled as Mr. Smarty Imp from now on because <laughs> I predicted this uh, yes, it was British bias. There was not really much health to it. <laughs> because no, my logic... Actually, no, there was more to it. I remember uh, saying on Thursday that uh, Darby Allen and Joe Donnella have had their moments of getting over. Jimmy Havoc hasn't had that. He's been he's been used in matches, but he's been used to like lift others, and he's not the one that's ever gotten the rub or looked like a star coming out of it. So this match... It, yeah, this match addressed that, and Jimmy Havoc was the one who won. So I'm happy to have predicted that. Uh, but yes, we. I th- I thought this would be crazy, but this cracker barrel clash was way more random feeling and just mental spots, especially from Darby Allin. <laughs> like the crowd tra- chanting cracker barrel because like this is the endorsed style by cracker barrel because they did the um, Joe Janela versus Hangman Page match. They sponsored that one from last year's All In. And that was also kind of the crazy, I guess, hardcore <laughs> match. It's the the stuff with mental spots and weapons and things. They they spotted the same match, so there's a bit of a trend building here. Uh, and there was some crazy stuff, like pouring thumbtacks into Jimmy Havoc's mouth and then taping his mouth shut. And then later on, Jimmy Havoc spits thumbtacks out at Joe Donnell. It's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's a... It's, uh, this is another one of those things where... You could, if you judge wrestling as WWE have set the standards, this is the type of thing they stopped doing, and it's the type of thing you would expect sponsors to be turned off by. But in terms of the actual wrestling world where it exists outside of WWE, this type of style hasn't gone gone away, and it's uh, interesting to see it featured in AEW. I don't know to what degree, especially once television starts, this will actually continue. But it is uh, interesting to see. It's this type of style that we don't see on television. So the fact we're getting to see it on a pay-per-view is it is, is a different kind of... St- especially it's pay-per-view this big that is directly linked to television. Yeah, it's interesting seeing that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how much of it would be on TV. <laughs> yeah, especially the crazy stuff. Like, even the stapler. I don't think they'd be allowed to staple gun on television. Yeah, no. <laughs> the paper cut stuff that they... Meet, the only point of the paper cut thing, just to give that reaction of... <laughs> it works every time. Even though I'm like, I can evidently see you're not giving him a paper cut. But it still gets me. <laughs> like, he stretches the web of the fingers and it, you're like, oh no, Jimmy, no. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, Speaking of the word crazy, Darby Allin, like, yeah, surely your neck can't take much more. <laughs> surely. Uh, uh, so first off was the rather tame by comparison. Uh, Jimmy Havoc was, or when he had the thumbtacks, I forgot to mention this bit. When he, when he had the thumbtacks poured down him and then he had his mouth taped, they also taped him to the chair, to, to a steel chair which was outside. He was sat on that. Uh, so Darby Allen got to the top rope and dived over the ring post and onto him. 
obviously. <laughs> Most matches, that's a pretty mental spot. In this match, that's low-key. <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> so Darby Allin would increase the ante by doing a... No, well, he was on the apron. Joe Dinello just broken free from a hilarious uh, monkey flip chair spot kind of thing. <laughs> he then just crossed his legs and went all fancy. He's like, oh, it wasn't. Oh, isn't that pretty? <laughs> yeah, obviously only to get beaten up or whatever. But he just broken free of that that little sequence of Jimmy Havoc, and then he immediately do- dived over the top rope and hit. Darby Allin with a Canadian destroyer through a table that had been set up at ringside, and uh, Darby Allin seemingly like landing right on his head through the table. It's like, ah, oh, not not nice. Ah, <laughs> oh, Darby Allin, his neck can't take much more. And uh, I thought that'd be the end of Darby Allin, but no, there was two more mental spots to come. One involving the barrel. A <laughs> oh, poor poor Darby Allin. Uh, the coffin drop is what my first one. So. It was a bit of an interesting visual watching Darby Allen climb to the top rope holding this massive barrel when he's such a like a kind of skinny man. <laughs> Just to see him standing on there with his massive barrel, like what's he going to do? And uh, it was one of those visuals which was like engrossing enough that I didn't even think to go, oh, has Jimmy Havoc moved or not? And then it cut to the other camera and it's like, oh, so everyone in that arena would have seen Jimmy Havoc had clearly moved. <laughs> but it was like, oh, us at home. And I was like, I, just, I was engrossed by the visual. It's like it's um, it's like the opposite. It's like a Donkey Kong kind of barrel, but with a tiny person instead of a gigantic, big, strong monkey <laughs> or gorilla. It's like, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Uh, yeah, and they put up the gigantic barrel behind him and did a coffin job onto the steel steps, like completely smashing <laughs> the barrel. It was like, oh, it was like we like we. I can't tell if that was safer or worse than the coffin drop in the Cody Rhodes match. Because he did it on steel steps, but did he break his form with a barrel? The barrel was made of wood, I can't, or whatever. It's like, it can't have been that nice. It's like, you are mental, Darby Allen. Absolutely mental. Ooh. And then there was one more where it was like a dive and he went through the table. Which got next to no response, interestingly. Uh, this, it, the atmosphere for this match was a bit odd. Mostly because uh, Pack and Kenny Omega had gone almost 25 minutes and had absolutely nailed it. And it was a shock ending which has left the crowd in a bit of an interesting kind of like taken out of it kind of state a little bit but then this match just went more and more mental 15 minutes made sense in the sense that it allowed the crowd to get into the match because any shorter than this and it would have felt like a kind of piss break or a come down after the Pac Omega match but no maybe that maybe you could call the start of this match where they're doing the antics like that but by the end of it it was just like this was crazy <laughs> Uh, and then Joe Janello and Jimmy Havoc started doing spots in the ring with the barrel. <laughs> so, uh, poor Joey. Yeah, completely destroyed by Jimmy Havoc through the uh, crack of barrel <laughs> by the end of it. So, yeah. I didn't know what... To, I thought this would be crazy, but I didn't know this would be just mental spot after mental spot. until <laughs> the end of it, at the end of it, you're like, what am I watching? I've not even mentioned Darby Allin having a skateboard covered in thumbtacks and jumping off the top rope and like riding across Joe Janela's back. <laughs> I was like, don't even mention that. <laughs> oh, it was a very interesting one. Yeah. But I enjoyed it still. Um, and so far, like on this show, I'll say that this show did once again did have the one thing that I've applauded all of the AW shows for so far. And that's that every single match felt different. Uh, there was a variety during the show. 
which really really helps with the longer viewings like every single match has got such a different feel to it like not one is the same and they're all completely different genres and it just it just really really helps like maybe the closest to each other would be the six man tag or the tag team or if you count the uh, pre-show as well you got the two tag team matches of Private Party versus Anhanako and Jack Evans and the Dark Order versus Best Friends it's like they're both tag team matches and they were both tag team matches with uh, quite a few relatively athletic people. Like, writing out Evil Uno. And Trent Brett is someone who's not incredibly athletic. Well, no, he is. No, he is. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm tired. <laughs> Quarter past six in the morning is current time. Yeah, I'm not I'm not seeing Sunday. <laughs> I mean, this is what I'm seeing off Sunday. The sun's out. I can see trees. But, yeah, my eyes are blurry. <laughs> I'm not really with it. Uh, but, yes... Yeah, that match was crazy. Uh, I've, so I'm kind of drifting on to the Dark Order and Best Friends, so I might as well do it. Uh, like I was thinking, I could like, like whilst I was thinking during the show, I was like, oh, I could do a little how this leads into television, and I was like, no, we've got a month of countdown. That talk will happen. <laughs> like the, the excitement will get there, and as we're, I don't, I don't want to burn all of the content before I even get here <laughs> to the. Uh, uh, to the month of countdown, like the calm before the storm. It's like, ah, oh, yes. We've got two weeks until NXT. Then we've got a month until uh, they got the WWE moves to Fox and everything about them seems to change. Uh, and then you've got, yeah, NXT will be there on the same night as AEW. And how I'm going to Twitter that about spoilers for the one I'm not watching, that's going to be uh, a little bit interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, penultimate match I'm going to talk about I get to go to bed soon everybody uh, the Dark Order Evil Uno and Stu Grayson defeated Best Friends to receive a first round bye in the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament this one uh, uh, was a bit flat so it come after the Pack Kenny Omega match which engrossed the entire card pulled everybody in and it had the shock ending which left them a bit out of it for the start of the next one then that next one became mental. <laughs> it was pure, what am I watching? <laughs> they, they, are doing, they are almost killing themselves and it's insane, This the spots in this. Uh, but uh, this match for me fell flat mostly because, and this might be a personal thing, uh, I don't know, the Dark Order aren't exactly getting over. It's not quite working. I have seen them get good reaction against one team. Uh, I will get to it in a second. That team is not best friends. There's something about best friends where it's just with me, but they are not super underdoggy enough or super likeable enough to work against the Dark Order. They are very, very good wrestlers, and that's the thing I got from this match, was it was four people who are really good at the wrestling, <laughs> but something's just not clicking. And and as a, like an antagonist to the Dark Order... They just don't quite work. The team that did work, 100%, was uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, who are so popular and so over that as an opposite to the Dark Order, they really worked. And at Fight for the Fallen, I could kind of feel that from the crowd response, that one was so over and one was so not quite working that they, it actually worked, and the Dark Order felt like bigger heels because of it. Against Best Friends, Best Friends... I was going to say they're not baby-faced enough, but that sounds a bit nerdy. They're... I don't know. 
some something about best friends that they're not um, dig deep and root for them kind of they're not op- they're not polar opposite enough of the Dark Order in that sense, and the Dark Order is not really working. So it, yeah, I don't, again I don't know if this match would have worked with like Jungle Boy and Chisaurus mostly because uh, you kind of know the Dark Order are winning because like there's the logic of going forward. This is this is a thing from this card even if. I didn't particularly care for the structure of a thing. I could see that going forward, it is something that works and makes sense. Because why would you have the babyface team get that first round by? It doesn't really make any sense. You can have the Dark Order feel like they've not earned their place later on, uh, which will help. I do like the visual of all the minions, whatever they're called, the creeps or the creepers, the creppies, the creps, (laughs) just attacking somebody at ringside whilst they're being distracted by the other one. I really, really like that. I love Evil Uno's expressions. I think they're uh, amazing. Stu Grayson brings the athleticism. Evil Uno is more athletic than you expect. I saw some people calling him a crap wrestler. It's like, if there's one thing I can say this match, one compliment I can give this match, is that all four of them are excellent wrestlers. Um, Obviously, Evil Uno is going to be the least athletic of those wrestlers, but that doesn't mean he's a bad wrestler. So... Yeah, again, I'm not somebody who gives star ratings to things. So when I see somebody call someone who's not athletic a bad wrestler, it's like you're confusing athleticism with wrestling. Like the smoke and mirrors is all part of it. <laughs> and even though you know he's great at the character stuff, even if he doesn't really <laughs> say that much. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the crowd did just. If one, this was the first of two matches, so it felt like the crowd really wanted to cheer for it and get into it, but they just couldn't and didn't and it just wasn't clicking uh, and both of these matches were like just sub 15 minutes and I was just like they don't need to be this long like uh, especially the women's match that came after this which it was for a big deal but in terms of like, actual card structure and flow like it was a bit too long but again I'm talking to somebody where it was 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> so the feelings I'm like I'm like okay I'm ready to get to the main event now and this match is giving like proper match time I was just like, uh, I'm ready for I'm ready for this to start to gear towards the end now. <laughs> so maybe if I watched it as a normal person at a normal time where I'm not tired and <laughs> don't want the show to finish at five a.m. like it did. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, I'm getting distracted. Dark Order best friends. It wasn't a bad match. Uh, Chuck Taylor pulled out the uh, I forgot what it's called. It's the one where he um, puts him up in like a gotch and then he just lifts him up and suddenly drops in with a tombstone is that or sorry a power driver it's like oh it's I've seen I've seen him do that move before I swear I must I think I've seen him like he's spinning for the blue thunder bomb and then he snapped into it I swear I've seen him do that and it looked yeah, I thought I did that's why I'm doing it in Ring of Honor it looked absolutely amazing can't remember what it's called but this version was like the gotch lift into it which is also just amazing it's the way he does the snap with it where it looks absolutely devastating like it's one of those where you watch it and go, there is no way to do Grace in protecting himself in that. That looked insane. But no, it, it when you watch a replay, it's like, no, they nailed it. <laughs> it's like, I've never seen Chucky, Chucky T ever once muck that up. But oh, it looks amazing. But yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. Like The Vestas themselves are fine. They are good. It's just that the gimmick of the Dark Order isn't working. And it's not getting over. Uh, it's more getting negative go away kind of feelings rather than the actual like this is a heel heat kind of thing so yeah bit of a shame in that aspect <laughs> but the, the actual people portraying the characters are good 
so that's what I don't understand about the oh they're bad wrestlers like oh, the gimmick isn't working but the actual wrestling itself is fine it's just can't get, and the point in the show as well and what had come beforehand that they're coming after Jimmy Havoc Darby Allen Joe Janela where yeah you got somebody doing a coffin drop off the top rope holding a cracker barrel onto steel steps the dark order being healy and cheating a bit is not going to get the same amazing rea- the huge re- reaction after that <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was a. It wasn't really looking at the card. The way it structured wasn't really a good place to put this. <laughs> it was it's because the Dark Order character is not quite working. Yeah, I've ranted on long enough about that. But do hit me up on Twitter at the Dumbimplicat if you feel the same. Whatever. Yeah, this is also posted on LawsOfPain.net, so there's comments available on there to do that. So, yeah. I, that's the other one I forget to check because <laughs> I'm a super professional podcaster <laughs> uh, keep in mind oh, I was going to say something and then my brain turned off so let's not do it <laughs> uh, the final match is, yeah, that's when my brain turned off I suddenly realised oh no stop the tangent I can talk about this final match and then do like an overview feeling about the show and then go to bed <laughs> so uh, Rio defeated Hikaru Shida to be the other person the other female who will be uh, Challenging for the to become the inaugural AEW Women's World Champion on TNT on October second, and she will be facing Nyla Rose, which is uh, yeah they've built these two up pretty well and I feel like it has worked and they have gotten over and the crowd like them, uh, especially Nyla Rose who like one spot I didn't mention from the Casino Battle Royal where Nyla Rose was on the apron and then she did a cartwheel kick to avoid getting eliminated. <laughs> I was like that was that was a great spot. Probably because she's on the apron, and then two people started running the ropes to like die, uh, attack her, and then she did that. It's like, oh, that that was great. <laughs> That's the one thing I've liked about Nyla Rose is she's got the incredible strength, but then she'll pull out the athleticism as well. So, yeah, that's great to see. Uh, but yes, uh, she were uh, Rio and Hikaroshida would had they had that odd card placement. I don't know whether I'd put this like second, but this being later on maybe makes it feel more important in terms of, I don't know the crowd was a bit dead though this would be the one match where I could, you could tell the most that the crowd wanted to be in this but just couldn't and they never really super got into it they were popping for moments and then just dying down and being quiet and that's kind of how I'd explain the, the whole of this match <laughs> like they wrestled a really good match from what I could tell uh, this what this was the match when I started to die by the way <laughs> it does a dying and paying attention but I really, I was really enjoying it. Uh, but yeah, as the match went on, it went a bit longer. And then I was with the rest of the crowd. Where I'm just a bit fatigued. I've been here a while now. And I can, I'm popping for the uh, great spots and moments and the rhythm of the match. However, when things are dying down, I'm tuning out. And then I'll just pop again when the crowd pops. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it was, we were, t- we were in, uni- we were, like we were one, me and the crowd there, live in Chicago. <laughs> I was with them just, Dying and then hey for or like oh for an awesome moment yeah I did really like the ending especially because it was back and forth it was so fluid you didn't know who was going to win it's like uh, you see it quite a lot in Japanese wrestling where it's a massive sequence and it's full of reversals and someone might hit one move to then try and hit the other but they can't hit more than one before it's immediately counted the next one's immediately counted Uh, but it's an amazing sequence where Rio ended up scoring a surprise pin. Uh, and it popped the crowd and it worked it really did work because it was that it was a very very good sequence that they ended on 
and they if it was at that point where either woman could have won but uh, yeah Rio was the one who did it <laughs> and she got a cool new theme to make and it's like it's like oh yes this is the theme of effort's been put into this I shall be receiving my push please and thank you <laughs> so, yeah uh, but yeah the only reason I don't have much to say is in again in those down periods I did kind of turn off even though they were doing great moments uh, the thing that made me laugh at the start of it was when Ikushida was at ringside kind of high-fiving everybody and there was somebody there with a gigantic foam finger or hand and as you high-fived that and it just flew away and it was like no my finger <laughs> in the ground and then she just got back she even leaves like well I've got to get in the ring and do my stuff now that was meant to just be a happy thing to the crowd and that was a little bit awkward that I might have accidentally upset somebody but then she just got back to it <laughs> obviously that person got his big foam finger back got to need that drink and it's great for dead air <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a it was a match with really good moments, but I was too tired and too fatigued, and I was turning off during it. I was ready for the three main event matches. So, like, really, would it have been the end of the world if we'd saved this for the television? Um, I know they want to crown the first world champion. They kind of the gears get going from there. The full gears, uh, November something. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one to explain to people who've not watched Being the Elite where that full gear thing came from and how it caught on. And that was the name of the pay per view. It's and they're doing it, they're doing it with like gears, but like obviously it was like yeah, it's like if you're serious about getting into shape about this wrestling, when you turn up to places, no, you won't turn up in just your clothes. No, you turn up in full gear. You go, you're you, you're in your wrestling gear. <laughs> Does that, I I yeah. I love uh, I love the way that that was originally started. It turned into people getting fit so they could be ready for full gears. Like, oh, I love that. Then the way it built up, the more and more people got on board and started like these are my, like my full gear kind of uh, schedule type of stuff. I was like, yeah, that's really it's a really positive thing amongst the wrestling community. And it started as just like a silly joke. <laughs> so I like it when that kind of thing happens. Yeah, I've been dist- I've been distracted talking about the women. My original point about the women <laughs> was in terms of the flow of this show, um, the the show was just too long and in terms of when I checked out, it was the tag team match and this match were the two where the tag team match I can pinpoint on the couch aren't quite working. This one was after a match that didn't quite work, it was a match which was um, I, guess, I guess a showcase match of the Joshi and personally this kind of match works but earlier on in the card. Like, Cody's even talked about them being there, the unique thing to AEW, and they'll be like, our cruiserweights. Well, the cruiserweights weren't on fourth to last on the show. They were on earlier, and you can pop the crowd, and you can get into them as well. It really worked for the cruiserweights to be in that spot earlier on in the card. AEW have gone for the high-speed tag team matches to open their shows, which do work in popping the crowd, but that means you're putting your Joshi wrestlers, like, fourth to last in, like, dead spots, which is weird. I don't quite get the card placement of where they've been putting the Joshi, even though, yeah, I 100% agree with what Cody is saying. That I, and I really love how, in quite a few of them, they've been unapologetically Joshi, and they've just presented it as that, and I love that. It really adds to the variety as well. It's just I'm not sure if they it works with them fourth from last. Like maybe it's one of the first three, it might work. Like the Nyla Rose, Riho, and I think it was Yuka Zakazaki. She wasn't there. I thought I saw her name listed. Maybe it's wrong. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, Yuka Sakazaki, uh, Vio, and I, and I, I can't bloody say it. <laughs> Nyla Rose. Uh, those three had an amazing triple threat, and I think it was like second on the card, and the placement felt perfect. It was like moving the perfectly onto that next thing. It was yeah. Whilst this felt like the show entered a lull, and they wasn't going to get going again until Cody and Sean Spears came on. So yeah, but now you've very very well built up the story ready for Rio versus Nyla Rose because Rio only just defeated Akira Shida with a pinfall like that. Can she do that against Nyla Rose, who came across as an absolute beast in the Casino Royale? Like, yeah, they've built up a massive hill for Rio to overcome. I don't know if she will, because um, Nyla Rose is such a beast. It's got nothing to do with the fact that she's transgender. She's a very, very, she's an amazing wrestler, and she's uh, shown the beast side as well. So, building up the because Rio's tiny and Nyla is big. In terms of wrestling, that's all the story you need. <laughs> really. Tiny person trying to overcome the big strong person. However, there's the context of the big strong person is actually also really athletic. Uh, normally in these occasions, the small person is also surprisingly strong. Uh, Czech big strong boy Tyler Bate, who had an amazing match against Walter earlier today. <laughs> well, yesterday now, like 12 hours ago <laughs> at this point. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I can't recommend Tyler Bate Walter enough. It was long, but it was an NXT long main event that I actually absolutely loved, and it felt like it the the time it used was perfect. Again, not to rant about it, didn't care for Cole Gargano. That was the opposite of a long match of me enjoying it. It's like nope, didn't really care for it. Tangents. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's setting up Rio versus Nyla Rose. I love um, the story that they've done there. And so really I'd be fine with either one. Nyla Rose as the monster. And yes, PR-wise, you can promote that she's the, the first transgender champion they've done. And really, it's um, they're, they're doing things, AW, where it's, you kind of look at it and go, why haven't WWE done this? Uh, especially where they had um, a female referee ref the their main event. And it's like, that's not something WWE have, have not been able to do. They just haven't done it. And AEW just stole that first from them because they just haven't done it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know because they are a promotion who have been built up over so many years. I don't know if there's old habits or views within the company or just ways of doing things, and maybe that's holding them back a little bit. Whilst AEW can just come in with the culture of the moment, of the culture of today, and just present it how they know because they're kind of a bit because they seem they feel like they are in touch with their fan base and. The culture of the day is wanting these kind of barriers to be broken. So, uh, yes, the female referee doing that, and it was uh, like a huge moment, which is great. And obviously, Nyla Rose getting this huge plus as a transgender wrestler, but the whole point is no one gives a shit she's transgender. It's great that AW are willing to give her this, but the main point is she's a great wrestler. That's the thing that's important, and uh, they are breaking those, those barriers and walls by uh, having uh, by having to achieve quite a lot, but there's a reason she's achieving it. And it's the fact she's a good wrestler. <laughs> that's, that's the reason. Uh, but again, her against Rio, I'm actually quite excited for that just because of the way the triple threat went with uh, those two and, Rio, and Yuka Sakazaki. And uh, yes, it's what Nyla Rose does in terms of her surprise athleticism. Every match I've seen her, she's brought something new. And Rio is kind of a, like the bigger person against the small person. No one of those matches are great as well. So will Rio overcome... Or will Nia Rose actually be the beast as well? Um, yeah, the native beast, <laughs> as, a, as a name is. So yeah, 
I think I was a bit down on the match, but I feel like I've ended it quite positively because I'm looking forward to AEW. And so the countdown begins until <laughs> that first week of October. But yes, NXT is getting on television ahead of time. But it is... Yeah, it is... Um, it, yeah, they get ahead of time, but things don't really kick off and change. I feel like the real change happens that first week of October, mostly because WWE TV is changing as well as AEW debuting. Like, it's all on the same week, so it feels like this is the week that wrestling kind of changes and transforms us, starts to enter this new era. That's when the new era begins. That's when the book begins, the book of AEW, or the book of this new era of wrestling. The prologue ended tonight, <laughs> which is quite exciting. We're now getting into the setting of the scene for chapter one and then the actual story progressing itself. It's quite an exciting time. So yeah, as a actual as a show overall, I did enjoy All Out. It was way too long. That didn't I was able to really get into Cody Sean Spears and the Lucha Brothers versus Young Buck, so it wasn't long to a point of I checked out completely, because I didn't. Again, uh, as I said for the uh, Joshi match, I was popping for the spots which were like, this is a bit where you cheer for it because there are things happening. Like, I was popping for those. I was just like dying in between them. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the matches before the main event, yeah. In the main event, I was in the first half kind of dying out a bit. But once the you could tell the story of the match was kicking in and they were gearing towards the end, I had my full attention. So, yeah. But yeah, this first three ma- excluding the pre-show, so I'll, t- I'll take the buy-in off. Uh, the first three matches I thought were, uh, I was f- thoroughly entertained. That's a that's a way to put it. Take away all the ratings things. I was just full, I was thoroughly entertained for the first three matches. Then the two after that were didn't quite grab me, and then I was back into it for the final three. So yeah, o- overall I'd call that a good card. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> But now the show's ended up an hour and a half. Uh, for your WWE aftershocks where you've got used to Stephen Bell going on, you probably have a, another half hour minimum. But no, hour and a half, I'm proud of that. And I feel like I've not drifted into speaking bollocks, not speaking words good at all. I did that Thursday. This time I'm up like five hours later and I'm somehow better. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, that's the thing. Yeah. But thank you for listening to me ramble on about AW. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the damn Implicat. Uh, please do listen to all the other shows here on NOP Radio. Uh, we've got, you've also got uh, the past AEW aftershock shows with myself and Jan Man, where we talk about these afterwards. Obviously, however, uh, you've also got the WWE aftershock shows. Normally with Stephen Bell, I've personally been filling in for Stephen Bell whilst he's been having life and internet issues, just to keep aftershock rolling because it is good to keep the. I know people like aftershock for WWE, so I'm filling in for Steve for WWE whilst he's doing all that. Uh, but I will stay with AEW, uh, normally with Jan Man. So there is normally two of us, so I can stop and have drinks, which I'm not being able to do tonight, so I'm going to wake up tomorrow with a hell of a sore throat. <laughs> so that's great. Wake up... T- you know what he is tomorrow? It's half... It's, it's 25 to. <laughs> I'm close. I'm not getting to sleep minimum till 7. I'm not a quick go-to-sleeper. It takes me time. Uh, but yes, other shows on NFP Radio. Uh, on Mondays, you have Kingdom of Honor with my normal co-host, Jan Man and his friend Jeff. They will be talking about All In. Uh, Tuesdays is the Global Revolution, the wider wrestling world. Uh, Wednesdays is planned sports entertainment is dead. Uh, I've normally plugged this as a look of the performance art of uh, professional wrestling, but performance art has become a topic of discussion as of late. It's just that that's been plans outlook for years. 
So it's quite weird to see it in the spotlight. Uh, especially as in the spotlight, I've noticed it feels like there's people having two different arguments, and I don't know if people if have noticed. Like one argument is um, calling professional wrestlers professional, uh, sorry, performance artists, or professional wrestling should be called performance art. The other side, wrestling is a form of performance art, and and I've seen both arguments appear on my timeline. And I'm not sure if people have realised that there's two different arguments happening. I'm not sure which one Jordan Grace, which point she was making, kind of started this whole thing. But now there's currently two interpretations of the event out there. And I don't even know if people have realised that the people arguing different points that aren't really related in a way. <laughs> yeah, calling wrestling performance art compared to wrestling is a kind of performance art are two completely different things. <laughs> I just found that interesting. I've seen that evolve to that. And Thursdays, let's <laughs> cut that point dead, that was a tangent. <laughs> uh, next Thursday I am live with LP Radio talking the past week of WWE on what's currently called Imps LP Radio Adventure. And yeah, that'll be, that's normally live around midnight on uh, Thursday. And on Friday we have got Mav Plan and Mazza with the right side of the pond. And Saturdays is normally our AEW show all about All Elite, however they've been forced to take a prolonged hiatus, uh, we don't know how long for. Um, but yes, so you have to wait for them to come back. <laughs> and thank you for listening to this. I've been in. I've already plugged my Twitter. Uh, yeah, that that'll do. <laughs> thank you for listening. And with that, I bid you adieu, adios. Don't have a theme. I'm just gonna whittle off. I can turn myself down slowly. Just keep talking and just turn myself down in the studio. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.